This, 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 this is mythical. We're so excited to introduce you to Great Jones. Great Jones makes high-quality, thoughtfully designed cookware that's so stunning, you won't want to put it away. From Dutch ovens to ceramic dishes to non-stick sheet pans, they've got you covered. Heck yeah, they do. Their products come in a variety of amazing colors, from classic black and white to pinks, greens, yellows, and blues. And the best part, Nicole... Everything's non-toxic. Josh, I've been in the market for a kettle for months. Yeah, I've heard I've, you talk about it a weird amount. Yeah, I've bought like a bunch, returned a bunch, but I just got my hands on the Great Jones Fellow Kettle collab, and I got it in the color broccoli, and I'm so excited to make artisanal teas and coffees. I'm trying to get on my coffee game right now, and I'm mm. so excited to use a gooseneck kettle. We have no idea. I'm excited to use their yellow hot dish, a.k.a. casserole dish. Shout out to Minnesota and Fargo, North Dakota. Uh, but right. I'm, I'm at that point in my life where I'm like, I'm an adult. I should have nice vessels to serve food out of sure, instead of just serving it on like stainless steel restaurant style things. And I like it. It's cute. It's got a good design. Bakes really well. Holds heat. I'm in, baby. And once you try Great Jones, you'll want to share it with friends. They make stunning gifts that are actually useful. Weddings, housewarming parties, birthdays. It's the perfect gift for the foodie in your life. So upgrade your kitchen and replace those old rusted hand-me-downs with bold, beautiful, long-lasting pieces from Great Jones. Get started today at greatjones.com and get an extra 15% off your first order with promo code SANDWICH. That's greatjones.com, promo code SANDWICH. Human civilizations create a lot of amazing inventions. You got the wheel, the light bulb, airplanes, computers. But last I checked, Gutenberg's printing press couldn't turn a burrito into hot lava in 30 seconds. Today, we're talking about the greatest food inventions of all time. Because this is a hot dog as a sandwich. Ketchup is a smoothie. Yeah, I put ice in my cereal, so what? That makes no sense. A hot dog is a sandwich. A hot dog is a sandwich. <laughs> <laughs> what? Welcome to our podcast, A Hot Dog is a Sandwich, the show where we break down the world's biggest food debates. I'm your host, Josh Air. And I'm your host, Nicole Hendizade. And today we are joined by TV personality, culinary traveler, cook, and author Adam Richman. Adam's traveled the globe on his quest to highlight local food culture on a national stage and uncover the world's hidden edible treasures. Adam's now featured in season two of the History Channel's documentary series, The Food That Built America, and is the new host of the network's returning series, Modern Marvels, and he has had near every job in the <laughs> restaurant industry. Nicole, Adam, welcome. Thank you for coming, Adam. Thank you for having me. I appreciate it, man. Yeah, so, you know, you are, uh, I've been watching The Food That Built America since season one, and you have been a mainstay on that, and I think it is a really incredible show because I love that, like, dramatic history channel treatment of stuff, and food is such a huge part of history, so I thought today we would sort of, like, break down yeah. what we thought the coolest, most important food invention of all time was, and I think it's a fantastic job. I would love to open the floor to you. I figured we could all just go yeah. around, say what we think it is, Take and then just away. get into a discussion. I'd love to know what you guys think, because to be fair, and it sounds like a canned response, but in all candor, with each successive episode, I find like I find something new. And I admit that it's always that balance. You're like, damn, is the modern mechanization of the food industry taking that wonderful human element out? Mm -hmm. Or is the fact that a human mind had to conceive of this, has to operate, service, implement this high technology, is that the new manifestation of the brilliant human mind at work in culinary production? So it, it, it varies, you know? I mean, I'm still amazed that I've got one of those OXO can openers that like, <laughs> takes the whole top of the can <laughs> opener off so it doesn't leave that jagged death edge on yeah. the edge. But like, I'm easily impressed and an only child who didn't date much in high school. So it's like a 50-50 blend. 
So I'd love to know what you guys think. Um, because, you know, I think that if they ever invented a to-go container that properly kept French fries crispy, for example, oh, wow. that would be brilliant. They're trying. They're it trying. It sure would be brilliant. They're putting holes in the boxes. Right. Yeah, I, I've I've run a delivery kitchen back in the day. I worked at a sushi restaurant on the Upper West Side, and I ran the delivery kitchen uh, a couple days a week. And yeah, you had to remember to crack the lid on mm-hmm. those things. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But I mean, and you have to also place things in the bag in a very specific order as mm-hmm. heat rises, very so important. on and so forth. That's like the OG, like you are a food inventor. You are stacking foods at different <laughs> heights and intervals I to mean, control the steam release of French fries. I respect you that. Give me, you give me a lot of credit. But I was also <laughs> deeply impressed when a friend of mine uh, from, God, this was like 98, 99. I remember she, she was from South Dakota and she had made popcorn like in a in a pot like in a mm. kettle not okay. with like a hot air popper yeah and then to melt the butter i just was like she was just it was like so staggering to my <laughs> friends and i she just threw the butter in the pot that she had been cooking with as opposed to using a whole other vessel to cook it <laughs> and it kind of embarrassed me terribly that i was like wow what a good idea and it was like oh really use the vessel that's already hot to melt the butter you schmuck how, how, how groundbreaking is this? I think there is some like pure pleasure in being mystified by the technology that people take for granted, which is a great segue into what I believe is, I don't know about the most important. I'm saying the microwave. Okay. And here's That's why. a big one. The microwave is a really huge one, right? So the way it happened, it was 1941. Uh, Percy LeBaron Spencer, he's a self-taught engineer working for Raytheon at the time, and he's working on a magnetron vacuum that goes into radar systems. 1941 develops a much more efficient process to increase production volume. And while he's testing out these magnetron vacuums, he's, <laughs> he's got a Hershey bar in his pocket. Okay. Or was he just happy to see you? Hey, yo, uh, <laughs> I love these food myths because they all involve some sort of accident and all of it is complete BS. Yeah. Like, yeah. There's like the French dip. They're like, I dropped the roll into the into the braising liquid, and then the officer was named French, and he said, I gotta go arrest a bank robber. Give me that sandwich. I think it's all a little bit BS, but it's great marketing. So he's got a Hershey's bar in his pocket, and he is near all these microwaves that are emitting yeah. from the magnetron tube, and it melts the Hershey bar. And so he goes like, wait, if this can do this to food, maybe we can sort of harness that power. And so he starts on this whole legacy of experiments where, you know, he tries doing it to an egg and it explodes in a coworker's face and everyone laughs. And then mm. he figures out you can do that with popcorn kernels because the microwave, it actually vibrates the water molecules at a very high frequency and causes it to explode. So Raytheon pays him like $2 for this patent because uh, that's just what they did. He How much is that in now money? I don't know, like $8 Okay, something. Probably a little bit more. Probably, I mean, probably like 25 but, but I mean, he was, you know, he ended up dying as like an executive for Raytheon. And so I'm okay. sure there was a lot of money uh, in there. Um, but anyways, the first commercially used microwave, it was tested at a restaurant in Boston. It weighed 750 pounds, cost five grand. Uh, and then Raytheon started licensing technology to manufacturers like Whirlpool and Westinghouse. 1967, the first widely available home microwave comes out and costs $500. Uh, and then fast forward to now, 95% of American homes have a microwave. The thing that I find very interesting is that it is the most disrespected piece <laughs> of incredible technology. Restaurants brag about not having microwaves. This is going on at the same time that the Manhattan Project is going. You got Einstein and Oppenheimer Oppenheimer. is becoming death destroyer of world while this homie is working in the same industry, melting Hershey bars in his pockets. And now it is disrespected. And I believe that the microwave needs to be respected. It needs to have a comeback. And we need to start trying to innovate more with the microwave because sales are down. Uh, If I may, I think the microwave 
is very much like the actor John Ratzenberger that Come we on. may not give him. Well, so he's like the voice of kind of everything in Pixar. People mm-hmm. my generation may remember him as Cliff Clavin, the postman on Cheers. Okay. Now, I think when one scans the canon of great actors, they'll come up with the Pacinos and the De Niro's mm-hmm. and the Redfords and the Nicholsons. They won't come up with John Ratzenberger, yet we've all had a very moving or wonderful experience at the hands of Mr. Ratzenberger. Therefore, he may not get his respect, but he is an essential component in anyone's movie-watching canon. If you've watched any Pixar thing, he's been in it. And I think that it's easily overlooked. And the thing is, I know from having worked in restaurants, the chefs call the microwave the jukebox and mm-hmm. things like this. But sushi restaurants use a toaster oven. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So sure. I think that it's people don't look at it as a skill set because it's pressing buttons. But people mm-hmm. also never looked at playing video games as a skill set till people started making millions of dollars in esports. So I think that. It's what's the old uh, thing from Sesame Street? It's where do you put your eyes? That becomes the size of it. Mm -hmm. So I think that you're 100% right. I think that for people who don't have a profound degree of culinary skill, don't have a lot of time, don't have the ability to invest in pots, pans, knives, and other cooking technology, and also for people that are doing things like tiny homes, living in a trailer, Mm -hmm. living in vans and stuff, it's portable. I mean, look, I'm down in my office, and what do I have down here? I mean, my office level is my old apartment, so I have like a little mini kitchen. But to be fair, having a microwave here is essential because it can do everything from cooking things to reheating things to even mm-hmm. storing things you've cooked elsewhere because it's a heat-proof box. So I think that there's myriad opportunities uh, to use it other than, you know, Lean cuisine and hot pockets. I agree. Although hot pockets don't taste right in the oven, I will say. I will say hot pockets to I me. I agree. Who's got forty five minutes? Hundred percent. But it's really interesting. I mean, the way you talk about, you know, you think about the Pacinos and the De Niro's and like the sexy guys. You don't think about the Ratzenbergers out there. Like right now, there's such a huge movement in all these gadgets, right? Air fryers, which people could argue are a glorified convection oven, right? That's what they do. It's, I love my it's air not fryer. a crazy air fryers are awesome. They make dank, dankity dank chicken wings. <laughs> they really but like do. the tech isn't very impressive, but yeah. they're still marketed as tech. Ditto with uh, immersion circulators, right? That's the same technology that's in a freaking jacuzzi. Uh. That's all it is. <laughs> but they're marketed. At, you know, they'll have Bluetooth hookups and all. Oh, you can connect this sure. to Twitter and tweet out your sous vide recipes. Yeah. But the actual tech in it, people are marketing these as like a tech gadget as opposed to a normal appliance, which is what they are in my book. But the microwave actually laid the groundwork for that marketing strategy because they initially marketed microwaves in like back then when things were very split among gender lines in the early 70s. They marketed them primarily to men in the electronics section and then realized that that wasn't working. So they switched marketing strategy to now, you know, as there were more dual income families, women entered the workforce more. They were like, hey, this can liberate people from domestic Mm -hmm. strife and you can have dinner on the table in two minutes by microwaving TV dinners. And I grew up on the banquet boneless rib and patty meal, (laughs) which I still think is fire. You slap that in some toasted garlic wonder bread and that's good eaten right there. And so I just think the microwave is this very fascinating tale. All of that is new was once old. And I think we're seeing that play out now with the new sexy Al Pacino sous vide machines. <laughs> he should voice, Al Pacino should voice the new Anova sous vide machine. I think he should voice a microwave in a Pixar movie. I actually... <laughs> <laughs> that would be amazing. Al Pacino is the fucking microwave. Be amazing. 
Oh, you gotta cover the shoe. <laughs> you got split peel all, all over, all over the roof. You gotta put a paper towel. Put a paper towel on the shoe. Crisping oh, that sleeve. That's not the way you fold the hot pocket sleeve. Oh. Live Nation presents Concert Week. From now through May 14th, get $25 tickets to over 5,000 summer shows. That's up to 75% off a summer full of your favorite artists. Dude, I'm going to 21 Savage with my nephew, Keon, and we are so hyped to see him, you have no idea. Uh, well, you're doing that, Nicole. I'm going to be storming through the party like my name is El Nino, because I'm going to be seeing Sum 41. <laughs> skate Punk is back, and it's not Pop Punk, it is Skate Punk. But also, they have so many more artists to choose from. You got Alanis Morissette, Cage the Elephant. Nicole, you're not ready for this one. <gasps> Who is it? The Kids Bob Kids, baby. No way. <laughs> Grab your tickets now through May 14th to see all of the artists you love all summer long for just $25 each. That's right. Visit LiveNation.com slash Concert Week to buy now. That's LiveNation.com slash Concert Week to buy now. Have either of you seen a little show called Flavor of Love? Of oh oh uh, come on flavor flavor have you guys ever VH1 seen classic. the episode where uh, Hottie cooks a whole chicken in the microwave? <laughs> no, no, no. I, I actually this is interesting. I have my tonsils out, uh-huh. and um, I was actually this is back in the day pre-show when I was convalescing at Casa de Mama, and uh, my mom and I would watch TV together. There've been two times I felt profoundly uncomfortable watching television <laughs> with my mom. One. Was Taxi Cab Confessions Vegas? Oh, a, a, <laughs> how did that happen? A couple. We were watching HBO and it oh, came no. on. I didn't. An, I didn't anticipate a couple boning in the back of the cab. No one. And does. you're sitting there watching people like doing it, and I'm like next to my mom, like trying not to breathe, trying to crawl <laughs> under my shadow. Like I, I just don't want to be here. The second one was watching Flavor of Love and watching that the character like that. Yeah, and that's the way it is. <laughs> yes, yes. It was the same episode where something else pooped, pooped on the floor. Oh, that's a famous, that is a famous moment in reality TV history. And then I remember because Flavor Flav like, it was like a dog, but I don't have a dog. And, uh, and she was like, I have a fog and it just pushed itself out. It's like, it didn't push itself out. But yes, I remember that show. I don't remember the microwave cooking a whole chicken thing, but I do remember like that going coos coos and rib tip pointing to her ass. And my mother's like, what on earth is she talking about? <laughs> Okay, segue into my. Uh, it's about my, couscous, rib tips, or poop. It's not about couscous and rib tips. I'm sorry. Uh, mine is uh, refrigeration or like the refrigerator. Yes. So uh, I don't know if you've watched my big fat Greek wedding, but uh-huh. uh, there's there's a part where uh, the dad thinks that Greeks invented everything, <laughs> and that's really pertinent to my life because uh, Persians invented the yachchal, which is a subterranean ancient evaporated cooler. That was first used to collect ice for to keep uh to keep people like colder, and then they started putting food into the same exact uh, vessels, and then from that it led into the wonderful world of using cold food cold to store food, and then artificial refrigeration began in the mid 1750s and developed into the early 1800s. Multiple reiterations led to the home refrigerator in 1913 with a big-ass ice cube on top, and now we got what we have today. So I think refrigeration is really important because initially I was thinking fire was the most important invention like of all time with food. And then I was like, no, not really. But you really. found out Persians didn't invent fire. Exactly. So I had to rep for my country. <laughs> I love and that. And then uh, I did a 180, and I thought about how cool it is that humans realize that we can store food in a way without compromising the salt content, the water content, or the acid content of keeping food safe. 
safe, like drying, salting, and pickling food. So I personally think refrigeration is the most important. Because you didn't have to start like relying. Because like that was the big thing, even with the the spice trade, right? Yeah. Which I mean caused like a, a worldwide age of globalization. Yeah. That was all just because like our meat tastes like booty. <laughs> we got to put some cinnamon on these yeah, steaks because right. there's no way to like keep them fresh. Yeah. Yeah, so it kind of like launched just literally everything we know about modern cookery and all that. Yeah, so I just think keeping food cold is like the greatest food invention of all time. And there would be no need to microwave a hot pocket if that hot pocket wasn't very very cold. Was it IQF? <laughs> <laughs> For me, I, I I would agree to a very large extent with refrigeration because ultimately it's that transition from pickling, potting, and preserving. And it was funny. I was talking with a friend of mine how that fascination with the, in the past decade with old is the new mm-hmm. new, artisanal mm-hmm. small batch everything, people curing their own bacon, people smoking their own meats and such. And it was kind of amazing how it almost prepared us all for pandemic. Mm-hmm. That transition from the pickling, potting, and preserving to means of sustaining uh, a food-safe product, a shelf-stable product, so I'm going to piggyback on your refrigeration, and I might say something like pasteurization, um, just by virtue of the fact that it has implications greater than that of milk. And you realize that, okay, Louis Pasteur introduced this technique in the 1860s, and again, just you know, for clarification's sake, it's thermal processing deactivates unwanted microorganisms. In, in wine and spoilage enzymes are also deactivated during pasteurization. Um, but if you realize it's, it's used in dairy, it's used in beer, it's used in wine, it's used in even sauces. And so I think that when you think about how dairy is a perfect substrate for bad things to occur, mm. uh, for yeah. bacteria, for fungus, and also the dairy industry was so rife with corruption that while doing my research for the Food That Built America season one, there were cases of dairy farmers augmenting their milk using water and water from spurious, like spurious, spurious sources that um, they used pond water. There was like a <laughs> case in Ohio of a family seeing little wriggly things using chalk dust to whiten the milk because tradition like fresh milk sometimes has like a faint bluish tint mm-hmm. to it. And I got a chance during Modern Marvels at an amazing cheese place, uh, cheese menu. I, I can't a cheese maker facility, I guess, because I don't want to say plant because though it has high tech, it's a husband and wife and a few employees. Mm. But they do a blend of different raw milks in their cheese, all from Central Pennsylvania dairies. And you know, you taste the raw milk and you understand that you know it's a flavor that I'm not likely to try again. <laughs> but I also understand, which wasn't doesn't mean it's bad. Mm-hmm. But it also, you understand why, and you understand, you know, because dairy has so many applications, and now we live in a world with powdered dairy and Mm -hmm. dairy extracts and shelf-stable dairy, that you can have a can of condensed milk on the shelf for months at a time. Craft singles um, or Cracker Barrel cheddars, like the large company-made cheeses. Cracker Barrel cheddar was the fanciest cheese. I thought that was the fanciest cheese in existence up until maybe two weeks ago. (laughs) I found out there are other ones. But the fact that you mentioned Cracker Barrel cheddar, specifically the sharp white, that one, my Nana would mess that up with some Kokana cheese balls, and I respect (laughs) that. And that's the thing that's kind of beautiful, though, is that though clearly you guys have profound food knowledge and elevated palates, that that's the nice thing also about 
the mass production of foods mm. and yeah. the availability of them that I think is kind of cool for me as someone who's right where the rubber meets the road with, you know, having done the research for Food That Built America and now hosting Modern Marvels is, you know, you learn about the sort of innovation and invention and then it's like, well, how does that speak to us today? Mm -hmm. And so Kraft, knowing how many pathogens could affect cheese, if, if you go back to the way cheese was sold, gigantic wheel, You'd cut into it and it would begin to desiccate. It would begin to dry. Mm. Then the shopkeeper would have to cut off the dry crack bits, give you the next fresh slice. And then again, it was massive amounts of loss. Yeah. And even crackers that were in fact held in barrels had everything from mites and bugs and mold and this. And finding ways to shelf stabilize them for safety, which was really his main motivation. Mm. Uh, and adding melting salts to different cheeses and things to get that consistency it's fascinating how something that merely started as a food safety innovation became something that increased its transportability, its salability, its broad market appeal. And yet, though you and I probably have access to like fancy artisanal small batch cheddars from the English countryside, I still love that when I go to mm -hmm. Austin, Texas to one in a million for one of their legendary breakfast tacos... They use Lando Lakes cheddar, my guy. <laughs> like, yeah, yeah. And Lando Lakes has absolutely nothing to do with the lovely Native American woman <laughs> who adorns its back. They're, they're changing that, I believe. They that are? was a recent thing. Lando Lakes was like, yo, we, uh, we're we going to just go ahead and take the L on this one. We'll change. Uh, it was like, yeah, it was, it was about time. You yeah, know? it's about time. Like after, you know, the Washington football team and now the oh, Cleveland yeah. Indians, I feel like Lando yeah. Lakes was just sitting there sweating, just like, oh, is anyone going to come for our label? And then finally, yeah. I think they decided like maybe maybe let's just put a lake on there or something. Yeah, I, I think I think it's really fascinating that there's such shared cultural experience with these like big mass market products. And that's I mean, one of my favorite parts about um, about the food that built America are these stories of seeing the origin of someone like I was watching an episode the other day. And uh, they, it was about uh, Hershey's chocolate, uh, but they mentioned, you know, Nestle, who was a, like, Swiss businessman, chemist, mm -hmm. all that. And, you know, I associate Nestle with, like, the consumer-facing bunch of crunch. Nestle bunch of crunch was, like, my absolute favorite thing. What are you laughing? It's good. It's crispy rice and chocolate. You shove it in your mouth. It melts all over you. I like it, too. <laughs> but it's crazy. I imagine, like, this dude 200 years ago who's starting this massive what turns into a conglomerate mm -hmm. that is, I mean, everywhere. And Nestle yeah. has been, like, embroiled in scandal and all this. Of course. Uh, with, you know, you go back to the, the water-stealing crisis with with Arrowhead Water. You go to, like, you know, the, the infant formula thing in Africa in the 1980s. Yeah. Uh, and then that just gets transmitted to, like, Bunch of Crunch. We all love Bunch of Crunch to these mass market commercials. And I think it's really fascinating seeing the origin of this and all these, like, cultural touch points that we all know yes. and, like, how it's distilled down into one dude's just, like, crazy idea. And I think that also, to be fair, you know, I'm blessed to sort of be in this TV food world, but I'm surrounded by multimillionaires. Like, mm -hmm. you know, I, I'm on basic cable for the most part. Like, if you get the Weather Channel, you get my entire oeuvre. You get my whole <laughs> Mazel tov. And, uh, but the thing is, you know, I'm surrounded by people like Guy and Bobby and mm -hmm. Rachel and G Gordon that really have created proper enterprises around their brands. And I think we take for granted the people like Heinz and the people mm -hmm. um, behind Campbell's Soup because it hasn't been owned by a Campbell or run by a Campbell in ages. But how many entrepreneurial efforts Heinz had 
that failed. Mm-hmm. Of he leveraged, he used his in-laws' furniture as collateral on a business that failed. And he wrote about and talked about the humiliation he felt when they came to collect when mm-hmm. he had failed and having to sleep on the floor of his parents' home and people weeping because he couldn't pay and all these different things. And then suddenly, because, you know, meat, as you said, didn't taste so great and you needed something to cover the flavor. There were walnut ketchups mm-hmm. and different things. And he found this recipe and he worked to perfect it and then suddenly became a juggernaut and actually changed the fortunes of Pittsburgh and of the whole region. Yeah. And I looked at, to me, the other story that I found really uh, kind of galvanizing is Reese's, the guy behind behind Reese's Peanut Butter Cups, worked for Hershey. People don't know that. He was a dairy guy. He had a dairy background, and he worked in one of the Hershey dairies, and they liquidated the dairy. Um, so he lost his job. And he was a, a fledgling entrepreneurial confectioner in his basement and was always trying. And he had a few different clients customers mm-hmm. that he would hand deliver treats to at different because it was a general store system generally speaking mm-hmm. um if there weren't like the little kind of corner confectioners and he would basically to be fair steal chocolate from work <laughs> and it's it really he did he would steal chocolate from work and he had molds and different kind of uh melting bowls and apparatus to to make it happen and he um had a uh purveyor say to him Listen, do you know how to do any kind of chocolate peanut butter candy? Because I have a guy who does it, but he's too inconsistent. And I can't fill my orders. So he went and stole a little more chocolate. (laughs) He was like, how do I do it? He's like, do I enrobe it? Mm -hmm. Do I make a log and then dip it? And then he was like, oh, peanut butter. I could put it in a cup. So he inverted it like a muffin tin, poured it over the back of it to create the cups, put the peanut butter in and then poured the, which is similar kind of to how the process is done now. Mm -hmm. And then he then filled it, poured the thing on top. And this is right at the cusp, right at the beginning of the Great Depression. And he had this one candy and it took off to such an extent that number one, he was able to support his family during the Depression when everyone else around him was going under, but it was such a hit, and I guess Hershey caught wise to the fact, like, my guy, you're stealing my chocolate. <laughs> and so he acquired the company, kept Reese's in charge of that division, and he was able to exert quality control and have security. And the thing is, with all this melting of chocolate, they should have melted a zipper. I think the guy had, like, 18 kids. So he was <laughs> like, you know, but to, to you think about these massive, massive, you know, uh, Depression-era families... Mm-hmm. And to be able to support them with just a little bit of ingenuity and a little bit of necessity being the uh, mother of invention. I think that's the thing that has both made me and some of my friends happy and some of my friends really not want to hang out with me (laughs) is the amount of uh, like nickel knowledge and Mm -hmm. like random factoids I've acquired while hosting the show. Like why the Hydrox is named the Hydrox. And I and like so Oreos will come up in conversation. I'm like, you know, the hydrox actually hydrox <laughs> came first. Hydrox came first. Hydrox came it, first. Uh, it did. It did. And what was the big difference with the Oreo? That the guy who was running the National Biscuit Company, Nabisco, <laughs> the good old portmanteau, <laughs> Galaxy uh, Brain stuff, got Hershey's chocolate, and the Hydrox got its name because they, the guys from Sunshine Bakery, were trying to find. Uh, something that evoked purity, water came to mind, hydrogen and oxygen became the hydrox. And, you know, I, I can't speak to why the, you know, Dutch 
German village print on it or anything. <laughs> but, but I think that that's, that is fascinating. And I, I hope that people really do go to the supermarket and notice different things, notice the keystone on the Hershey label and mm-hmm. realize the link to Pennsylvania or, you know, can see Reese's for something a little different now or M&M Mars for something different now. And the other thing is I have to say that I'm so proud to be attached to the food that built America. And it's an element that I had absolutely nothing to do with, but I, and I take no credit for, but you know, kind of just like happy to be here. Hope I can <laughs> ball club is most reenactments suck. Yeah. And these are, profoundly cinematic and like really well acted. Totally agreed. And, and, and that aspect I dig like the Kellogg's one from season one. Mm-hmm. And that's, you know, it's a dicey subject because the elder Kellogg who ran the sanitarium in Battle Creek, Michigan was a nut bar. He was a bit like, yeah, he was great. He was crazy. And yet like when we're done, I'm going to go upstairs and have some special K red berry. Yep. And that, and like the Kellogg that is now on the box is his brother, right? So like essentially and his brother's signature and his brother's signature. Yeah. The Coca-Cola logo is Asa Griggs Candler's accountant's signature yeah. with a fountain pen. That's that's or that was his handwriting when he came up with that ribbony cursive for Coca-Cola. And yet Doc Pemberton, who had been wounded in the Civil War and, mm-hmm. you know, needed needed that little extra bit of Bolivian marching powder <laughs> in his soda to like get through. We all have our vices. You know, we all need something to get through the day. Yeah. I mean, cocaine and soda is a very strong vice. That's that's a. That's that's Allegiant. that's literally that's literally a Miami vibe. <laughs> <laughs> One of my favorite things about the show is that it not to be too dramatic on it, but it kind of like, you know, all of us, we are all in this food entertainment space and all of us have this audience and this opportunity to create some awesome product like this. And it kind of like, you know, infuses you with that entrepreneurial spirit. Like, holy crap, I'm one good idea away. And that's why I think all three of us, I would love your investment for 10% equity in my company, $8,000 investment snacking mayonnaise here's the thing it's gogurt but instead of yogurt in the tube it's flavored mayonnaises it's a low carb it's keto friendly and you slurp down the mayonnaise out of a tube but it's also shelf stable thank you louis pasteur and pasteurization so it's meant to be eaten hot you warm it up in your glove box in your car you forgot to say sharks sharks you forgot the most important part so adam if you my venmo wait uh, wait sharks oh 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 like like Shark Tank. Yeah, I, yeah. I'm sorry. When, <laughs> when you said that, I was thinking, for God forgive me, because I was thinking about eating mayonnaise. I thought you were saying sharks. <laughs> oh, no. And hold that too. Tea, and hold I was like, too. yeah, she, she's not wrong. The, <laughs> the amount of uh-huh. spray fartery, the Jackson Pollock that would ensue. <laughs> yeah. Now, yep. may I ask, would there be flavors or protein or it's just straight mayo? So it's there are flavors. So the, the snacking mayonnaise are designed to be flavored. And I mean, <laughs> here's the great thing is because you can get intro into markets all across the world, right? And we're talking, I mean, you, you go to Laos and Cambodia, you put some galangal in the snacking mayonnaise. I'm thinking global, Nicole. I'm thinking global. You got your, your like, kochujang. Wow, that's a deep cut to go for galangal. Like, <laughs> yeah. You like... You jumped fish sauce, lemongrass, and palm You're, sugar. That's and yeah. went to Galanga. That's, that's twenty. That's twenty twenty three. Those flavors you're describing. I'm thinking twenty thirty five flavors down the road. This is our sixth wow. generation. So I look forward to all our entrepreneurial. Adam, you, you, we had you sign a release form that was actually a contract for snacking mayonnaise. Oh, in the tube. I knew I should have read yeah. it. Yeah. <laughs> like, you know, now I now I get his hot dog and sandwich is very much like the iTunes like terms and conditions. Yeah, yeah, that's yeah. how we get you. And then boom, a YouTube. <laughs> album is on your phone in two weeks right exactly i've agreed to be part of a human centipede without knowing i'm like god damn it not again our surgeon is gentle it's fine you'll be the middle one that's yeah, the best you'll be part the middle. 
Actually, I do want to make mention of one thing, though. I do mean this in, in interest. In the food, in uh, excuse me, in Modern Marvels, we went to the Army Lab in Natick, Massachusetts, where they develop the MREs, the meals ready to eat, mm-hmm. that our warfighters cool. across all branches of service eat. And it is so fascinating because both of the means of technology that you both spoke about, refrigeration and microwaves, are essential. Mm-hmm. But and and also because it's the government, they have. All the cutting edge technology, ultrasonic knives and things like this where they cut stuff with sound waves. The reason I interject this fact is because we actually did an entire segment for the uh, pilots of the U-2 spy plane that Mm. are flying at 30,000 feet plus um, where it's incredibly cold and they have to sustain you know, a sense of alertness, I suppose, uh-huh. for 12 to 14 hours. They have myriad meals, full meals that exist in tubes, but oh, they're kind of purpose-driven, yes. but they have to still have texture and flavor. So what they actually created are these metal <laughs> tubes that kind of exist behind the pilot's seat, and they're all purpose-driven. So, for example, they'll caffeinate certain oh. foods that are otherwise not caffeinated uh-huh. to give them a sense of alertness but also perky jerky. these are perky jerky. these are grown adults that don't want to be eating pablum don't want to be eating baby food so what they've done is they had to create because so and it has a there's an attachment in their helmet and there's like a straw Holy so it straight in and they actually squeeze it and there's even wow. um it's about that big i guess like a pint container of milk kind of size <laughs> it's a little oven to Holy heat crap. these tubes up, and they have truffle mac and cheese. <laughs> oh they my have goodness! Spaghetti with meat sauce, pasta bolognese. They have um, beef stroganoff. They have like cold ones, like fruit and key lime pie and whatever. And what's fascinating is they've kept, and they did it through R and D. They kept elements of texture in there. So when you do the truffle mac and cheese, it's real truffle oil and real truffles that are used in it. Real bits of pasta. But when you squeeze it, there's still bits of particulate that you can chew. So there's a mouthfeel. And it's the trippiest thing because it, it skips out the cutting of the bite, the mastication, the chewing of the bite. So you go from nothing in your mouth <laughs> to having already been chewing pepperoni pizza for two seconds. That's amazing. They use whole ingredients. They add calories because it's meant for the, the forward infantry and the Marines and the SEALs. And it has to be light enough to carry but shelf-stable for three years. Holy crap. And and they use freezing and microwaving and different means of desiccation to get any kind of spoilage out, and it still tastes like coffee cake. Amazing. And it, it's incredible. I, 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 I'm I just saying that you, you said it has struck a mnemonic device, and it's not feigned enthusiasm. Mm-hmm. You will see things that uh, I'm just so profoundly impressed that they – the, they think to add omegas for brain health. They think mm-hmm. to add probiotics for gut health but in an imperceptible way and then finding means of like chemical reactions. So there's a powder that reacts with water and it becomes an oven. And so it's in this pouch. Yeah. Mm-hmm. They tear it open, they pour the it. water in, you throw the pouch of food in and it heats up everything from a pizza to chili Mac to like a taco bowl. And it's all done in a pouch. So uh, if you want to talk about the food vanguard, the episode "The Future of Food" will will break your brain. A little I bit. am definitely checking that out. Me and then too. Next season, if they need a stool softener up in the YouTube plane, we got mayonnaise in a tube coming. <laughs> mayonnaise right in a tube. Mayonnaise in a tube, baby. Stop We're back. The tube mayo, man. If you run out of bombs, you got something else to drop <laughs> on our enemy. <laughs> Hey-o. Knowing how to speak and understand a new language can be an invaluable tool when traveling, meeting new friends, or just even to master a new skill. 
But it's not always simple when you're bogged down by textbooks and structure classes. That's why so many people trust Rosetta Stone. Rosetta Stone is the most trusted language learning program available on desktop or as an app. It truly immerses you in the language you want to learn, like Spanish, French, Italian, Chinese, and more. You won't just be studying English translations. The Rosetta Stone intuitive process helps you pick up a language naturally, first with words, then phrases, then sentences. Don't put off learning that language. There's no better time than right now to get started. For a very limited time, listeners can get Rosetta Stone's lifetime membership for 50% off. Visit rosettastone.com rs10. That's 50% off unlimited access to 25 language courses for the rest of your life. Redeem your 50% off at rosettastone.com rs10 today. All right, Nicole and Adam, we've heard what you and I have to say. Now it's time to find out what other wacky ideas are rattling out there in the Twitterverse. It's the time for a segment we call Opinions Are Like Casseroles. We're going to go ahead and we are going to start with at Jocelyn's Life. Tater tots are superior to French fries in every way. Adam, you kick us off, man. It's a big, it's a big one. Ooh, but yeah, I know, right? Um, hmm. It's so fascinating because a bad French fry is really bad and mm-hmm. a bad tater tot is even worse in those regards. And I will, here's what I'll say. I can't turn my back on the French fry because if mm-hmm. they're both executed well, a Belgian, like a really good Belgian yeah. twice fried frite or like a good potato wedge oh, yeah. in England are very, very hard to beat. However, if on a menu... I see that the burger place I've gone to offers tots or fries. I always go tots. Yep. Tots to me is like catching a double rainbow. <gasps> really? You don't see it often, but it fills you with wonder. It fills you with delight. It fills you with nostalgia. And it's a different experience, but I think you can't dip them as easily. Mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. that you can't, I don't think it's as versatile. Like I, I could do French fries with breakfast. I don't see tater tots with oh, breakfast. Tater tots are the supreme breakfast burrito potato. I yes. mean, you're an Ooh. East Coast guy. So you I got, agree with you. You got your bacon, egg, and cheese out there. But like we both grew up in Southern California and breakfast burritos are a part of life. Uh-huh. And the, the, the tater tot will never fail you. And also, speaking of good food inventions, uh, the Orida Corporation, who has some of the the strongest uh-huh. the strongest IP laws on the freaking term tater tot. And so you go to the store and all the imitations are like tater crowns, tater rounds, and no one can use the term tater tot. And I absolutely love that. If you go to the Man vs. Food episode in Boise, one of the men that I interview married into the tater tot family. Wow. And I was just like, <laughs> my guy, you are set. Yeah, don't, don't mess this up. <laughs> and I, forget about the money. My guy is set for like the waffle fried potatoes for life. Like waffle <laughs> fries, tots, he's got it on lock. And like, I, I, I will say this for, again, breakfast burritos, amazing. Like Sonic, the biggest reason, because mm-hmm. they're, they're a far superior, in my opinion, fast food burgers, not dissing Sonic, mm-hmm. but they have, number one, they have the good ice. Yes, they have the pellet, good pellet ice. ice. Mm-hmm. Dank ice. And they're like snow almost that it makes, and they got tots. They got tots. But don't you guys think sometimes tater tots are really dry? Have you guys ever had a really dry tater tot? Like, I've never had like a dry fry. But I've had, <laughs> I've had the, the unduly moist 
collapsing yeah. star mm-hmm. like tater tots. The ones that are like a beanbag. They've been just steamed. barely held together like a like a like a membrane of the crusted potato. It's one I strong can't. punch away from being mashed potatoes. Literally. Yes. Yeah, you just uh, you'd palm heel strike it like Bas Rutin does to the livers I of his hate enemies. This opinion because French fries are so much better. Oh my god, Josh loves Bas Rutin. It's Adam, all he ever talks about. Wait, hold on. About. You got her. I've been trying to get Bas Rutin on the show for years. All he talks about. There's a great Boz Rutan clip <laughs> on how to defend yourself in like bar fights and stuff. And he's talking about like if someone like touches your girl, offend, ba 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 ba. And he has this clip where he like, the guy's got his legs crossed and shows he had to like shatter his knee. And he goes, <laughs> right, right straight, left straight, grab the head. You don't ever do this. As he's like <laughs> slamming the guy's head on the table with like each syllable. I mean, yeah, he's he's the bald bull, man. Baz Rutan. Can't, can't beat it. The Dr. Toxic says ranch is the best sauce. Mm. For what? That's all. That's I all we're we given. Have to, okay. we, have to, we do a de facto. We are like constitutional literalists that we analyze yes. the question Indeed. as it is written. Indeed. Okay, it is not the best sauce categorically because I feel it has more limited applications than other things. So it is the best for things like uh, fried zucchini rounds. Oh, oh my Carl's God. Jr. Um, I, I, I used to work at Red Robin, so that <laughs> oh, was like cute. my go-to thing. But like when it comes to like buffalo wings, it's blue cheese uberalis. Like you can't, Thank you, you can't mess that up. If marinara has so many Mm. more applications my god chimichurri has more applications so and and in a world where queso exists is this even a real conversation (laughs) where where barbecue exists where i mean it's more of a condiment but like sriracha or Mm. peanut sauce peanut sauce it's Mm. just i think ranch is a very great flavor i agree but the best sauce for everything? Absolutely not. If you think that the applications of ranch are limited, <laughs> you have never... Okay, this is a little bit embarrassing. I, You know, I, you get it's sushi, okay. right? The next day, you got some leftover. Uh, one, I like to pop it in the microwave for about oh, eight no. seconds because sushi should not be served with cold rice, and I believe in that. But you don't have any soy sauce in the house. You need to liven it up. I might have dipped it in ranch once oh, or twice. No. I'm just saying, what I'm saying what? is, oh, think about it. I mean, think about spicy tuna, right? It's just sriracha. It's just sriracha mixed with, you know, literally the scrapings off of a Kewpie tuna mayo. spine. Yeah. And Kewpie mayo. Exactly. I mean, ranch is 90% mayonnaise as it is. You know, you got some extra I flavorings can't. in there. You got a little bit of acid with the vinegar, which is already coming in like ponzu. Sushi and ranch is what you're trying to tell I'm me I'm trying right now? to sell you on sushi and ranch. I'm not it's interested in being sold What I'm saying is ranch, I don't know if it's the best sauce. That's a very hard thing to judge. My but. man, you are talking out your casserole. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you for calling him out, Adam. Thank you. But still, ranch is, is, is delicious in the correct application. Yeah. Certain fried chicken sandwiches. Yeah. Fried zucchini, even just just crudite. Mm-hmm. <laughs> All right, we got at Dean Feldman ninety nine. How do you guys feel about ground turkey? I like it, but my family doesn't. Okay, big fan. Yeah, big fan. Mm-hmm. I make a pretty badass turkey chili. Yeah. I venture to say one of the best turkey chilies. I think um, there are so many other ways to add fat, and I think that if you're mm-hmm. making good chili, you're sautéing onions, mm-hmm. you're browning garlic, you have enough sort of fat to emulsify it. And I think that where sliced turkey or white meat turkey is so easily dried out in the cooking process um, that it can take on moisture and bring a little bit of that flavor. Mm. I am a big fan of of ground turkey. I think that the moment that the little teddy bear and Ted 
upon hearing that Mila Kunis was making turkey burgers, uh, said something less than flattering about it. People were like, oh, I feel so seen. Mm-hmm. But I think ground turkey is wonderful. I love it. I, I eat yeah. turkey meatballs like three, four days. So good. It's so, so good. good. It's not yeah. my favorite, but I, I will use it once in a while when I'm like, you know, I got to stop eating so much red meat, yeah, Nicole. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know I, feel, I, mean? I feel like it's no one's favorite, which I think there's yeah. a beauty to that, you know? It's like it's sustenance. It's like when you find the really good cold drinking fountain with like the mechanical refrigerator and you're like, you know what? It's not my favorite beverage, but damn, is this nice right now? Yeah, no, I agree. But I mean, as someone who is perennially fighting my body's own tendency towards moving towards a panda bear like physique. Hear you on that. That (laughs) finding finding things like ground turkey and ground chicken and then just using culinary acumen to absolutely to bring it up that i i i I quite like it and i think that now as companies are finding more ethical ways um to raise turkeys and also um you know let's use the term process them i i think that um you're dealing with a more whole and wholesome product in many cases yeah that makes sense. Agreed. And I'm a big turkey oh. bacon fan. Oh, you got you got two I you love, got two Jews right here, man. I love we grew turkey up on turkey bacon. bacon. Nice. Three more. We have a minion. I'm yes. very excited about <laughs> No, and this. I can't be in it. I'm a lady. It's 2020. Oh, whatever. Come I'm on. progressive. <laughs> I'm progressive. Please. Come on. Faith knows no genitalia. <laughs> God, that is the most beautiful thing I've except, ever heard. Except except at eight days old. Yeah, they know. that's right. That's right. <laughs> that's right. The only turtlenecks I have are in my closet. <laughs> And on that note, thank you for listening. <laughs> Sorry, to a... let's go back to sauces. No, let's no, go no, back no. To... This was you. We transitioned segue. into the into the wrap up beautifully. <laughs> wrap up. <laughs> oh my god! <laughs> no, no, do it, do it, go. And on that note, thank you for listening to a hot dog is a sandwich. We got new episodes for you every Wednesday. And Adam, thank you so much for joining us. You can catch all season two of the History Channel's hit nonfiction series, The Food That Built America, on Sundays at 9 p.m. Eastern Time and Pacific Time. And returning series Modern Marvels will premiere on Sunday, February 21st at 10 p.m. Eastern and Pacific. Did I nail the plug? You did. There's one thing I do want to mention, if I may. Of course. Obviously, this is a really, really hard time for our restaurant industry. So the History Channel has actually paired with the James Beard Foundation, and they are uh, working to save the restaurants. So if uh, you have a great food memory, food image, food story... Um, if you just tag the History Channel with the hashtag Save Our Restaurants, for every post, they will donate a dollar to the James Beards Foundation's uh, fund to save the restaurants. And so it's going to places like Ben's Chili Bowl in Washington, D.C., famous for their half smoke. And I got to film there and everything, but we can't forget that place fed mm-hmm. people that were there for the 1963 March on Washington mm-hmm. and so on and so forth. So. If you, like me, love the restaurant industry, worked in it, love it, may still make your living off of it, tag at history, hashtag save our restaurants and or hashtag save our history with your favorite food memory, image, uh, or just a little anecdote about a place you love. For every post, one dollar will go to that fund. I am absolutely doing that and plugging, plugging El Tepeyac because that is... Hell yes! Yep. <laughs> if you want to be featured on Opinions You Like Casseroles, you can hit us up on Twitter at Mythical Chef or Zada with the hashtag Opinion Casserole. For more Mythical Kitchen, check us out on YouTube where we launch new videos every week. And of course, if you want to share pictures of your dishes, hit us up on Instagram at Mythical Kitchen. See y'all later. Adam, you rule, man. This is fun as hell. Adam, come this back in like back. a week. What are you doing next week? This is wonderful. No, you guys are great. <laughs> And I have to say, the only thing better than hanging out with really fun people is hanging with really fun, smart people. And that's what I did today. Aw, thanks. So thank you both. No, seriously, I hope we get a chance to do it again. I, I hope so. That, thank you so much. Oh, and uh, bye, bye, bye mayonnaise in a tube.